and welcome back to the To The Heights podcast, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Olivia Colombo, and I am a young Catholic changemaker, journalist, and soon-to-be social worker, and I'm sharing stories of people who are reaching to the heights in terms of social justice and making sustainable changes in this world. This season, we're calling it Hope in Humanity, and we're focusing on people and organizations, secular or religious, who are social justice-oriented and have creative solutions to the many problems that our world is facing. Today, I am sharing a very fun conversation with the two co-founders of the Prison Journalism Project, Yukari Kane and Shaheen Pasha. They're both professors, journalists, and more. <laughs> They'll tell you more of their bios later, but they were working on similar projects and cross paths to create this project. The Prison Journalism Project helps incarcerated and incarceration-impacted writers tell stories about their communities. A common theme that we talk about in this episode is that 2.3 million people are incarcerated in the U.S., and they have no news correspondence. There is nobody telling their story from the inside. And who better to tell that story than them? This project educates the incarcerated through journalism courses and workshops, They are also working on publishing a textbook for these courses, and as of April 2020, they started an online publication that has over 100 writers from prisons across the country, where the incarcerated get to send in their stories and share their news with the rest of the world. This is their story of Reaching to the Heights. I have two very fun guests with me today. Would you guys like to start off by telling me each of your names, where you're from, and what do you do? Sure, I'll start. Um, So my name is Shaheen Pasha. I am the co-founder and co-executive director of the Prison Journalism Project, and I'm an assistant teaching professor at Penn State University. I am Yukari Kane, and uh, I am a co-founder and co-executive director of the Prison Journalism Project, and uh, I'm an adjunct lecturer at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism. Very nice. Um, And I'm studying social work and journalism at Boston College. So I stumbled across the project um, (laughs) in the spring, right around the time that you guys launched. Um, So I'm excited to hear kind of the backstory, how you guys got into it. Um, but first, I kind of want to know, how did you each get into the world of journalism? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was back in that, the believe it, believe it or not, that's, that's a new one for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> it goes so far back. Yeah. Um, well, I got into journalism because um, I, I moved back and forth between Japan and the U.S. I'm Japanese. And... Uh, and I grew up in the 80s around the time that there was a U.S.-Japan trade war. And, um, and there were a lot of um, negative stories in both directions, a lot of misunderstandings. And, and I just wanted to, to be a part of, you know, telling, you know, t- t- telling the, the true stories um, and, and, and really explaining uh, how things work in each country. And, and and so that's how I got into journalism. I went to school at Georgetown in DC. And so I was really lucky that I was in a media hub where there was every media organization from the world and um, did, did some internships and um, got my first job at US News and World Report. Nice. Very nice. 
And for me, mine's a, a little different. Like I'm a born and raised New Yorker. My family's uh, Pakistani, so I'm Pakistani American, but um, born and raised Brooklyn girl. And uh, it's interesting for me, like this is all I've ever wanted to do. I think my entire mm-hmm. life, like I was that weird kid that, you know, other kids are singing in the mirror with a hairbrush. I'm reporting live from Moscow. <laughs> Um, with a hairbrush. (laughs) But, you know, honestly, for me, it was one of those things that, um, you know, I grew up in a rough neighborhood in Brooklyn in East New York. And I saw so many, you know, stories and kind of the world was very small in many ways there. And I always wanted to see the world and I wanted to kind of um, escape it in a way like, you know, kind of be able to tell stories from around the world. I was really fascinated with, you know, reporting from, you know, foreign countries. And I, you know, eventually I did become a foreign correspondent in the Middle East. And I think that was always sort of my ambition was to be able to, you know, explore the world, see the world, tell stories um, that I thought would also resonate in, uh, in my neighborhood. And that was kind of sort of the, the passion that I had for it. But yeah, I've been wanting to do this since I was five years old. And I just, somehow made it happen. I went, wanted to go into Columbia J school and that sort of set my career off. That's so awesome. Um, and I definitely want to talk about being a foreign correspondent later, um, for sure. But another, another backstory question, how do the two of you know each other? This project. (laughs) All right. So, I mean, I can take that, Yukari. Yeah. Uh, For me, I mean, this project, honestly, we didn't know each other. We actually worked in very similar places. Our career, if you think about it, we're kind of side by side. We both, I worked at Reuters, she worked at Reuters. I, you know, worked at the Wall Street Journal, she worked at the Wall Street Journal, but we just didn't know each other. And Mm -hmm. um, we didn't know each other because, you know, our career paths were just different. For me, I was, uh, I covered business, but I also covered legal uh, news and I covered largely court cases. But um, for me, criminal justice, mass incarceration was at an arm's length. I did court cases, but I didn't really feel the impact of it until I actually became one of the millions of Americans in the United States whose loved one is incarcerated. And in my case, it's my best friend. He's incarcerated uh, for 127 years in New Jersey. Um, he was actually one of the last death penalty cases in a New Jersey post uh, 9-11. So once you see that, it kind of shifts your whole world perspective. And for me, I think I'd always wanted to do something for him. He was super, you know, he's super intelligent, has so much potential. And what I found was there was nothing inside the walls for him to kind of occupy his time and actually do something valuable. So it always haunted me, like, how can I help? What can I do? And, you know, I I went on my career, but it never really left me. So it wasn't until I actually came back um, from the Middle East and I was working as an educator. I became a full-time journalism professor at UMass Amherst. That had the first opportunity to sort of be able to to volunteer inside a jail and when I did that it was one of those moments where they were like yes absolutely volunteer what do you want to teach and I was like I want to teach journalism and they were like no so it was like that that's it that shut that off because of how antagonistic um that relationship is between you know corrections and journalism traditionally Mm -hmm. historically but you know they let me do it as long as I did a little semantic change <laughs> and called it media mm-hmm. writing and what they found was that the guys loved it and it was actually something that really was exciting for them and they were learning my news literacy and were learning that their stories mattered and so eventually um, a, a colleague of mine at UMass we together we taught a, a class an immersive journalism class where we brought students from UMass into the local county jail they worked on an explanatory journalism class together the guys came up with amazing story ideas and I realized at that moment this is what I want to do. This is where I'm, my life is supposed to go. And I need to build this. I want to make this national. I want to teach journalism on a national level. I want to teach incarcerated men and women how to do this. And so um, I got the opportunity to, I, you know, I won a fellowship at, at Harvard, the Knight Neiman Visiting Fellowship to do just that. 
because the Neiman Foundation saw the potential for this. In the process of researching that, um, I found the San Quentin News in California, across the country, had never been there. And it's a Prisoner of Ron award-winning newspaper. And everyone I met said, you need to meet Yukari Kane. You need to meet her. She's the advisor for San Quentin News. And I think you guys need to meet. So eventually we did. I went out to um, San Quentin to meet the guys in the media lab at the prison. And Yukari and I met and it was like, I, you know, it sounds really weird. I'm like fireworks and sunshine. <laughs> it really, it was like you know we had been living these like side by side worlds, yeah. and then it just came together there. And the Prison Journalism Project was you know emerged from that car ride mm -hmm. from uh, San Quentin back home to in San Francisco. Nice, very nice. And so, where did it go from there? What were some of the first steps that you took? And I don't know. I I want to know the story of like how it went from an idea to like what it is right now. So, so we, um, so back from that car ride, our, our, our vision became, you know, we want to, we want to create a curriculum and a textbook and do what we've been doing individually and, uh, standardize it. So prisons across the country can have journalism projects, uh, journalism education programs and, and get more journalism started that way. And, um, and it started out, to be honest, it started out fairly slowly. We were both teaching. Um, we still are. Uh, it, but we were creating the curriculum and then the pandemic happened. And, you know, the pandemic has thrown so many our way. Um, but it's also been, a, you know, in, in, on reflection, a good opportunity as well. Because what we had realized at the time was that, um, you know, the, we were starting to hear reports about how the prisons were just ill-equipped to handle the pandemic and that outbreaks coming uh, particularly from San Quentin and, uh, but there wasn't enough information and, um, and there was no information coming from the prisoners themselves. And we just felt like this was going to be a historic moment. We knew that and they needed to be part of the historical record. And so we put out a call for submissions, created a site on Medium and um and put that out and we started getting flooded with submissions almost right away and the men and women wanted to write not just about the pandemic but then george floyd happened and the black lives matter movement took off um again and um and uh, they also wanted to write about parenting from inside the walls and the mental illness issues and and there was just so much out there and it really affirmed what we've both known through our teaching and, and, and for me through my work at San Quentin, which is the richness of stories and the depth of stories that are there. Um, there are 2.3 million people who are incarcerated in the US and, um, and there's virtually no journalism. And it's, you know, with that many people, there's just no way that there aren't stories that aren't, aren't worth telling and that need to be told. And so, so then our, our vision shifted a little bit to um, training and educating so uh, these stories can come out. And so if, if we took, you know, there are a lot of prison writing programs and, and there are a lot of uh, writers inside. And so if we worked with them to train them with the, in journalism skills to tell their own stories, you know, um, there's so many stories in there, but, but I've, I've, I've always felt like there's just, you know, am I the right person to tell it? Um, they really should tell it themselves, right? Because they're inside and they know they they know those the they know their communities better than anybody. And so um, so that's what that's the work we're doing now. Um, it's been about seven months, I think, since we launched our publication, and 
We have at the moment uh, almost 300 stories from over 140 writers across 27 states. And, uh, and so we're really starting to get a breadth of, of writing. And we're also finding some real talent. And that's been really gratifying. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. And so quickly and like, I don't know, it's not just news stories, right? It's also like prose and poetry and other other writers. Yeah, right, right now, right now we're, um, we're seeing what they, they want to write about. And, uh, and we're starting to do the work in terms of training in the journalistic skills. And so our hope is that, you know, I think the publication will always, to some respect, remain a publication where our writers will write um, about the, the topics that they see and care about. But we hope to be doing more collaborative journalism work with them where we do train them in the, the interview skills and observation skills mm -hmm. and storytelling skills and, and the journalistic writing skills. And, um, and we help them uh, get those stories out into the rest of the world. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I have kind of a logistical question. So some of the stories are typed, but others are handwritten. Do you guys want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, this is where our volunteers are like everything to us because what we, the vast majority of the material we receive is um, handwritten or even typed on a word processor inside of, you know, the prisons, but then those things are mailed to us and then it's a virtual mailbox. So then we get a scan <laughs> of those. And so what happens is we have this a huge amount of material that our, our volunteers actually step up and they transcribe every single one and they transcribe it and you know then we're able to read it and then edit it and post it but if we weren't if we didn't have this army of volunteers that were willing to go through all of this material and you know do it by hand and, and type it all up I mean we just wouldn't have been able to to grow as much as we have mm, yeah that's awesome and we are always looking for volunteers, yes. by the way. Yes, I was going to ask so, that. Yeah. Uh, there, is, there is a link to for, for anybody interested in volunteers on our website. Um, so please go there. And we do uh, orientations every four to six weeks. And we're also starting to work with um, schools and, and classes and, and service organizations as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see, especially like, I don't know, Jesuit college over there like I, I can see that being something of interest to different service programs and even like I don't know our journalism program and yeah yeah that's awesome um what have been some of your favorite stories or favorite is too generic of a word but like what has been a story that you've edited that has struck you and made you think we have you go first, chicken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's generic words. We, we have some that just like moved us beyond um, belief. I, uh, I think um, there's been a bunch, but one of the stories actually came in the the form of a poem to me, and it was a poem that was written by one of our writers. Um, that was about it was told a story about in the midst of the George Floyd Black Lives Matters and protests. It was told a story about two young boys, himself and a friend, that um, started walking together as kids to school and the harassment that they would face at the hand. They were both you know black kids that they, they would face this harassment by police officers and. Um, the description, the way he wrote it, of talking about you know walking in their Pikachu shoes and their Pokemon book bags, and I you know I have three children and my my youngest son has a Pokemon book bag, and it was just this really painful. It's called Defund Police, and it's just a really painful poem, just kind of talking about how they grew up and you know eventually his friend was killed, and I think that that 
I don't mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Yukari, but I think I immediately called Yukari and I texted and I was like, I'm sobbing. I can't believe it. And what we, that's what the power of even like the poetry, which you don't consider traditionally journalistic, right? Mm-hmm. It's narrative storytelling. I mean, it told a very powerful story that um, from a journalistic standpoint, I thought was really, really important, especially given the time. So stories like that uh, have stayed with me and just, um, some of like our our female writers you know, have told these amazing stories about you know, parenting from behind bars. And I think that those kind of stories stay and resonate. I mean, all of our stories have resonated on some level, but some of them, I think, just hit on another level and I'm unable, I can't shake them. I still think about them. I, yeah, I have um, definitely the same ones that Shaheen mentioned, but also for me as a journalist, the stories that I'm also drawn to are just stories that really show um show life inside or or just um how how similar we all are uh, my one of my favorite recents um is one uh from a stamp collector and he is um he has i think a thousand stamps in his collection something like that maybe it was thousands and his family has been sending them in bit by bit and he whenever he sends out a letter he chooses a mint condition commemorative stamp that fits the recipient's interests. And, and he carefully calculates that the stamps add to 55 cents and then he sends them out. And he also was saying that the non-collectors, there's, a, there's a, a few of them and the non-collectors give them the stamps that they got and if there are any duplicates, they ha- he has a relationship with the teacher in Ohio and sends it to him to, to distribute to his class. And you know, that, that kind of story is, um, you know, I mean, it just, it, he, he didn't go on for very long about it, but it just opens a new world to me as a reader. And I think that's what we want to do more of too, through the Prison Journalism Project. We want to open our readers' uh, worlds to, to these people and, 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 and their interests and, and, and how, what goes on every day. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like rehumanizing, especially for people who don't have, know someone personally or know someone before they were incarcerated. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that we find is that whenever you look at the coverage, I mean, and we're media as well. So, I mean, I've, I've covered courts. I'm guilty of it as well. A lot of the stories are, you know, from the outside, very negative, And it doesn't really talk about the people inside. It talks about, you know, the cruelties or the issues, are, and those are important. But what we really want is to show this community that's behind bars and it is a community it is 2.3 million people it's the size of a small country that is literally you know a whole world a whole country that's hidden and no stories are coming out about the way people live the way they you know the way they love the relationships the economies you know how they survive these are things i think that um are just as important if not more important many times than the other stories that focus on you know, the, the things that are bad and wrong, those are important too. But I, I think that we need to have more focus on people as people and showing that yeah. they're, they're continuing to live behind bars and we need to know how they're living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And that's so interesting that like, this is an untapped community. Like there are probably very few other communities of that size that we can think of that there aren't like at least some sort of correspondent from the outside on the inside. Yeah, exactly. that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, you guys in your kind of mission statement on the website talk about journalism justice. You want to talk about that for a second? Sure. You want to go, Shaheen? Sure. I mean, um, journalism justice, I think the way we define it is we are not uh, 
advocates. We're not, you know, social justice warriors in the way that that term has emerged. Well, we are as journalists and we believe in the equity and coverage. And we believe that the people inside who are, you know, living these lives behind bars, they're the right people to tell the stories that people on the outside consume and use in order to facilitate change and in order to make the rules and the decisions that impact them. But right now we don't see that. We see outsiders looking in reporting in a very limited myopic fashion based on what access they have and then that material is used by lawmakers and you know outside advocates to make change and the the men and women that are living behind bars they're not the ones that actually have a direct voice in that um in that dialogue on how, what they need and how change should be implemented. So for us, journalism justice is, as a concept, is about equity in coverage. It's about providing the platform that everybody has the right to tell their own story. And for us, it's about providing that and evening the playing field so that if you're going to tell a story about mass incarceration, yes, you're going to have some outside coverage. You have in different countries, foreign correspondents come in, you know, and they report on stuff but you still have internal coverage, people reporting the inside. We don't have that right now. So to me, that's what journalism justice is. It's providing the people inside with the opportunity to report and discuss about issues that matter to them by themselves. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. you know, both of us are journalism professors. And so also, you know, what journalism, what we, what we teach our, our students is that when you are working on a story, you cover a story from all of the sides, right? And so right now, um, when it comes to prison and incarceration issues, it's, as Shaheen said, it's largely from the outside. It's, it's, um, it's from uh, people in position, you know, a lot of times the, the people in position of power are the, are the ones that, that get to talk. And so I think for us, it's just about making sure that all the sides are being considered. Interrupting here to share with you our sponsor for this episode, Monk Manual. The Monk Manual is a system of being and doing. It's a quarterly planner inspired by monks and designed to help you live a fuller life. By combining best practices in psychology, productivity, and spiritual growth, the Monk Manual provides a daily system upon which you can build an intentional daily life. I had really been wanting to try one of these and I got mine a few weeks ago. Um, and honestly, I'm really, really liking it. We luckily have a 10% discount code for listeners just in time for the holidays. The code is HEIGHTS, H-E-I-G-H-T-S. So far, I definitely recommend it and I think I will be getting another one. Again, you can get 10% off on monkmanual.com by using the code HEIGHTS. What challenges have you guys other than this, like, I don't know, it, this is such a, a big concept of like, there is this untapped population. Um, what have been some of the big challenges of like getting to that population and like getting word out that this is a project and it exists and like, I don't know, what have been some of the like loopholes that you might have, I don't know, obstacles, that sort of thing? I mean, there are a lot of challenges. I, I can start, and I'm sure Shaheen, there's there's so many. Um, Shaheen can fill that out. But um, you know, there's the challenge of getting the word inside, and then there's the challenge of publishing. And so, I think in terms of getting word inside, um, it's it's been okay. Um, you know, right now with the pandemic, a lot of programs are closed. Um, the only way to get word inside is is via mail, USPS mail, or uh, there's a 
there's a closed loop email system that prisons use called Dumb JPAN CoreLink. And so those are the ways that we communicate with our writers one-on-one. Um, -on -one. um, that, that, that's probably something in a different environment we could get word a lot more easily, but it's it honestly, it hasn't felt like it's hurt, hurt us very much because the writers who really want to write and writers with stories have found their way to us. Um, you know, we have probably four to six weeks of backlog in terms of stories uh, all the time. In terms of publishing, um, you know, part of um, some of the challenges are, um, you know, fact checking, right? How do you know at the end of the day that something actually happened? Um, that's something that we're, that we're working with, working through right now. Um, there's the challenge of us getting more stories out. Um, you know, ideally we wouldn't have four to six weeks of backlog. So it's about how to, how to get stories out quickly, especially when our writers are writing timely stories. Um, you know, uh, we don't want to be publishing a story they wrote in May now, for example. Um, and then I think we've started to help some of our best writers get their stories published in outside publications. And uh, the challenge we're starting to see there is, is, it, is it goes back to perception. Um, mm -hmm. There's a, a lot, you know, some publications, I think a lot of publications are really interested and receptive to seeing the work of our writers, but it's, uh, it still feels like it's, it's a one-off novelty. And uh, there's there's not an appreciation that that this is a community that should be covered, uh, that could be covered like a beat inside almost. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so I think with a lot of publications, if they've published one, that's it for the next few months. And and that's the challenge that 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 we face going forward. Mm -hmm. Just to add to that, I mean, because once again, we are foundationally an educational initiative. I mean, we publish, we are a publication, but it's rooted in education. So one of the challenges we also face is as we're training, you know, our men and women inside, getting them the material in a way that makes sense to them. We're not able to go in there one-on-one -on -one where I can sit there and, you know, highlight and show everything, you know, this is what I did. So it's about kind of um, sending material in and trying to be very specific on, on why we chose to do something and why we chose to leave something out, you know, how to annotate it. And these are things that, you know, as we're evolving as an organization, we're, you know, we're trying to grappling with how do we navigate the educational challenges that come in so that they're not confused. I mean, we want them to be independently writing these things where we're just kind of like, oh, that's great. We'll, we'll pitch it somewhere, right? But to get to that point, as anyone that's taken journalism classes, it takes many steps and it takes a long time to kind of get there. And so um, with the challenges of how we get that material in and the backlog and all of that, it does take time um, and to make sure that they're getting it and they're not getting confused by the way we're teaching it or, you know, the way we did things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or even is there a back and forth of like, do they get to see the edits before they're put in? Like, are they part of the editing process at all? Or is it they send in their submission and then editing so happens for, out of their hands? For our publication, uh, there isn't, uh, just because we don't have the manpower to do that. And so what we say in our call for submissions is that uh, when they send in their story, they're giving us uh, permission to edit it and put it up on our site and publish uh, and share it with any other uh, like-minded organizations. And so they might be republished elsewhere. Um, what we say is that we can't, uh, you know, we can't change things in their stories once uh, once they've gone out. But if they don't like the way it's been edited, we'll happily take it down. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, 
it would be really impossible to get, you know, we, we publish 10 stories a week. And so, uh, you know, it would require a whole staff just to keep track of going, doing the back and forth. Yeah. And so the way we deal with it, though, is that, uh, you know, we, we ask our, we invite our best writers to become contributing uh, writers. And we work a little bit more closely with them. So there's about six of them right now. And so if they wanted to pitch a story to an outside publication or if they wanted to work on an op-ed, uh, they, they would, um, we would help them. And, uh, and also we tend to take a, a little bit of a closer look at their stories for our publication as well. Mm, yeah. The, the reason that I asked that, the, the wheels that are turning are kind of like thinking about how education is a privilege when it mm-hmm. is a right um and how like i don't know i just came from editing for our campus newspaper and like be, i mean normally we would do it by hand with red pens but because of covid and passing papers around like we do it via google docs sitting far away from each other and like the rounds of edits and we have conversations and like i don't know shout things out and we're able to have banter about style guides and such um it it's such an unfortunate thing that that is a privilege and I don't know, they don't get to be part of the I mean, learning that's, process. And that's, that's a challenge for us too, definitely, which is that we want to provide the training tools so we can help the many. Uh, at the same time, we want to, we know that um, some of the real work takes place one-on-one, especially in a field like mm-hmm. journalism. And so how do we balance both? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything that you would want people, I, I always phrase this question differently, but like, what would, what do you want the world to know about this project? Like, what do you hope that like young adults and college students take away from this? Um, kind of the message of the project. It's a big question. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. It, it, um, I think we want, we want them to know that this world exists and that there are all kinds of people there and there are many great stories there and we want them to be open to um to that world and as a reader too um consumer stories uh you know please share them because i think uh you know for us as journalists we really believe that that what ultimately changes the world is is for people who aren't seen to be seen and and for those worlds to be understood in a holistic way and so, you know, there is space for, uh, for those stories that outside journalists write. You know, those are, those are legitimate stories and important stories to be read about the system, about uh, crimes that, that uh, the prisoners have committed. It's not that, like, those are wrong. It's just that there's a piece that's missing. And so, um, you know, as you think about criminal justice, as you think about prison, the prison system, like, op- you know, p- open yourself up to all, all these other stories. And, and they're really, there are some um, fascinating, fascinating stories and um, people who are doing really interesting and amazing things. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think for me, what I want people to take away from this is to challenge your own thoughts and views about mass incarceration on either side. Because what happens is we, as outsiders, have lots of opinions on what should be done and how people should be either punished or released and all of these things. And we don't ask, we're not able to get the direct thoughts of the people inside that are being impacted. And I think that, you know, we need to be willing to listen to men and women that are inside, you know, 
and how they see mass incarceration, how they see the prison system, what reforms they believe need to be done because they do and they're very smart about how it is and they're very realistic. Um, and I think that we need to be willing to listen to them and not shut them down because you know a lot of times we do see that where people especially for very you know eager and excited for reform and change that when somebody inside says you know maybe i don't believe in prison abolition or maybe I, and they do a lot of them don't believe in prison abolition frankly right and i've seen this myself where a lot of people will say oh you've been brainwashed that's just the listen to people be willing to challenge your own views one way or another. And I think that's, you do get that through our stories. You do see um, the nuance that the men and women that write for us have and bring about their own crimes, about other people's crimes. And that's a really important conversation that we have to have before we start telling them how to think about their own situation. Mm, yes, yes. There's so much, so much wisdom in that. <laughs> like, the, I don't know. it goes back to like, you need to tell your own story. Like, I don't know. You're the one with the power to tell it the best. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how can people help you guys? How can people volunteer? What can people do? We love that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are many different ways to help. I mean, one of the things that we absolutely would love, I mean, there's many things, but volunteer on our website, you there's a form that you can fill out to volunteer. Like as Kari said, we do these training sessions every four to six weeks. And frankly, the other thing is we are we are a fledgling nonprofit. We are you know building this from you know the ground up. Me, Yukari, and I are, are funding this largely out of our own pockets, right? So we are always you know looking for support. One of our main goals into 2021 is that we want to start paying our writers. That to us is really important. You know we're both journalists. We don't want to write for exposure. We don't want our guys and men and women to write just for exposure. We want them to get paid for their intellectual property. So one of the things that um, and donations would help us do is to be able to, to pay our, um, our featured and spotlighted writers. So that would be a really important way to help. Yukari, thoughts? Uh, yeah, and uh, sign up for a newsletter. We have a monthly newsletter with um, where we introduce some of our favorite stories. And uh, we also have this, uh, it's called Inside Story. And uh, we have a fun section called Inside Extra where our writers and, um, and our team and, and different uh, people in our community share what they've been reading and watching and thinking. And so those are also fun as well. And, and uh, they're there once a month. So please, please sign up. That's awesome. Um, and I, I did sign up to do the volunteer form. A few days ago. So <laughs> just another thing in there. And I, I really hope that some of my other journals and friends and listeners will do the same. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so awesome. I have one last question before we wrap up, and then you guys can add anything that you want. Um, but more of a personal thing, when someone has a big idea, like this sort of project that they want to get started, what advice would you have for a young person or a person of any age who's trying to do that, to put it into the world? That is such a great question. I think Shaheen and I would say, just do it. Um, and the other, the other specific piece of advice is to find, to find partners. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I think we've, we, we've gotten so much done is because we have each other. Uh, we often joke about sharing the same brain and, 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 and it's, and, and we feel amazingly lucky and blessed to have that. But we also have other members of our team too. Um, 
And so, uh, and Kate McQueen is, is, is a director who's at, uh, on the West Coast at UC Santa Cruz. Um, we have Brooke Loshota, who used to be a student of Shaheen's. And, um, and today it was unfortunate you couldn't make it, but Chris Etienne, who just recently became our multimedia director. And so we, um, we trust each other completely and uh, we take turns getting things done. You know, everybody has schedules. And so find, you know, don't try to do it yourself because there are some days when, when things aren't going great and you second guess yourself about whether you should continue. And um, you need those people around you to say, no, like, you know, we're, we're, it's, you know, we're getting somewhere. And, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, reach out to your network of people. Everybody has a network, even if they don't realize they do, you know, family, friends, you know, people that you've worked with. Some of our like most, you know, avid volunteers, the people that have been helping us out the most are people that, you know, I started my career with at Yukari's, you know, in her career, you know, for like 20 years. And we always joke about how we feel like everything was like sort of divinely meeting to this point because just the amount of people that have come out of the woodwork from all over the world, like we're getting like help from all over the world, are people that, you know, we met with and connected with and became friends with and who now are excited and eager to be a part of this. So, you know, we're getting to, and you know, we get to the point sometimes where we're a little bit nervous about asking people. And what we realize is at the worst we can do is ask and see, and they may not be able to help us, but they can connect us to somebody else that will. So I think it really is about honing your network and your friendships in a, in a positive way where, you know, people believe in you as a, you know, as people. And that's something that you, Kari and I are always like really grateful for that the, the amount of belief that, you know, our friends and our family have kind of shown in, in the project and in our vision for it it helps us on our, our dark days when we're like, wow, we don't know what we're doing or we suck, <laughs> right? And they're like, no, people believe in you, you don't. And it helps us when we're moving to the next level. So I think it really is about, you know, fostering those relationships. Mm, yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't know, my background a little bit for social justice was I was a youth activist and I worked with Dr. Jane Goodall and like lived that life of being the 13 year old doing speaking stuff. And I don't know, we always, in my family, it was always like, it takes a village to raise a child. Like that was a very much ongoing theme of, I don't know, you can't, you can't do any of this work that makes an impact on the world, whether you're 13 or like 80 without that village. Yeah, that's really important. And I'm so glad that you guys have it. And I'm so glad that it's growing. Um, yeah. What's next for this project? And also what links and things do you guys want to shout out? What's next? I mean, we have a million, we have a million ideas going. We'd like to get some stories in collaboration with our writers out there, um, you know, thinking about, well, what if our writers were correspondents? You know, what are the mm -hmm. stories that we, we can see? Uh, we are working on uh, a best of anthology for 2020. And, uh, and that came about because our writers, they don't have access to the internet, so they can't see each other's stories. And so uh, we want to find a way to um, get stories inside the walls. Um, we have, uh, we're working on a journalism textbook, uh, a prison writer's guide to uh, journalism. And uh, that will partly be in, um, in a comic form. So uh, there are a lot of stories. Um, Jaheen, links. Links, so you can find us on uh, prisonjournalismproject.org. And um, if you're on that page, you, you know, you can find a place to volunteer, you can find a place to donate, but also if you 
are yourself in some ways incarceration impacted. Um, we tell stories from people inside, but we also tell stories from formerly incarcerated individuals and people that have been incarcerated, um, that have been impacted by incarceration, loved ones, family members, friends, you know, we have corrections officers, people that, you know, have a story to tell because once, you, once you've been touched by incarceration in any way, it changes you fundamentally, I think, at the DNA level. So those kinds of stories are things that we're really interested in. So we also have a, a share your story uh, button on our page where you can um, reach out and you can see what we're, you know, what we're looking for and, you know, and some prompts to get you writing. And uh, social media? Yes, social media. So Twitter is at Prison Journ, that's P-R-I-S-O-N-J-O-U-R-N. Instagram is at Prison Journalism. And uh, Facebook is at Prison Journalism as well. So nice. please find us and follow us. Awesome. I will share all of those things. Um, this has been so great. I'm so glad that we got to talk. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so, so much to Yukari and Shaheen for being on this episode of the podcast and sharing this incredible project with them. Um, and thank you all for listening to it. We'll be back with a new episode next Monday, so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And fun thing, on November 16th, the Grexley Podcasting Network relaunched itself, renewing most of the podcasts for a second season and releasing two new shows, which are both incredible. Intercessions is one of them, and please, just listen to the intro, because it is one of the coolest things that I think has come out of Grexley, even though I'm definitely biased, but um, Adam did an awesome job with that. And Letters from the Least is the other podcast, and it centers around spoken word poetry by Claire McCallan, and she is so talented. Starting with this relaunch, another thing, we are slowly expanding our Grexley podcast platform to be more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing, so transcripts are now available in the show notes, and I will be working backwards from this relaunch until all of the episodes have transcripts, so share with anyone that might benefit from that. As always, you can find this podcast and all of the other Grexley podcasts on grexley.com, as well as our merch and Patreon, if you feel called to support this media endeavor. If you have any guest recommendations, send it our way at grexley.com slash to the heights in the contact form, or email us directly at to the heights podcast at gmail.com. Additionally, if you have any questions for me about social justice, anything we've talked about, or just life, or if you just want to say hi, send it in for our next Ask Olivia episode, also using to the heights podcast at gmail.com. I hope you all are well during this crazy time. I will talk to you next week and keep on reaching to the heights.